entrusted by the law of the land as dictated by the democratically elected legislators of those lands and entrusted by their institutions that supervise their activity and their finances and their security and whether they are not compromised or not by hostile intelligence services or not, they are entrusted to carry out the work of planning for the future of those nations and the peoples of those nations and the best interest of their national security. And all of a sudden, all these people decided that it is in the best interest of the populations and the peoples of those country countries to support the people of Ukraine because they are being genocided. Some of the civilians are being displaced out of the country. Some of the civilians are being killed in summary executions. Some of the civilians are being raped and then either set alight or attached to their own children and booby-trapped or buried alive or whatever without having to go into details. But those civil servants decided that it is in the best interest of their own people and their own government to support the government of Ukraine, the people of Ukraine and the armed forces of Ukraine to fight against this invasion. And surprisingly, the people of Ukraine, the government of Ukraine, and the armed forces of Ukraine have been doing a good job. So please carry on with your question. Guess not. Battle moves. Yeah, maybe we can look at this pragmatically if Peter is still on here. Uh, you're, you're talking about nuclearization of the battlefield, okay? Um, you know, let's let the Ukrainians worry about the things they can affect. They have zero control over that. And are they prepared to nuclearization of the battlefield? I dare say they are because I've been looking at the line items and we've been sending them CBRN equipment. Uh, now, looking at the battle thus far, or the war thus far, uh, it's looking more and more like the uh, the Russians can't fight their way out of a pistol paper bag. That being said, you know, if they chose to uh, nuclearize the battlefield, which the fallout will flow into Russia, because that's the way the prevailing winds blow in that area, uh would they be effective fighting force? They're not effective fighting force without 78 kilos of CBR and equipment on them. Like uh, any, anybody here that served in the military and uh, when we used to call it going top high, when you got all your gear on, uh, that's a suck fest. And uh, it, it could be minus 10 uh, degrees Celsius outside and you're sweating buckets. You know, because basically you're wearing a great big rubber suit with your gas mask and, you know, all your kit on and your rubber boots. And and uh, you're still you're still carrying around your, you know, your uh, uh, your full fighting order. 
so you got your weapon, your mags, your food, uh, uh, your and uh, probably platoon stores too, because you carry you divvy that out amongst the troops as well. So are the Russians capable of even doing this? I dare say they probably cannot. You know, so is that a road they really want to go down? And what we're seeing right now is a fall of the empire. This is the death throes of the Russian empire. And let's be clear, they're not a superpower. You know, and I I dare say after this, they're probably not even a regional power anymore. If you fail to project power in the near abroad and you have to copy French tires using Chinese suppliers and then not know how to maintain them and then fail them, well, good luck. But better moves, please go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say that's that's a really good point. Uh, you know, they can't maintain or or, or take care of uh, the equipment they have. Their system is fundamentally flawed. They they cannot win. They they cannot. It it's impossible. It's almost like they're genetically bred not to win. Uh, there is so much in in depth corruption in their system that uh it, it was it was a lost cause from the start you know are they going to cause a lot of dam- damage absolutely are they going to kill a lot of people absolutely are they are they going to uh uh cause pain and suffering absolutely and it will be it will be very important for us in 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 the west and i mean like western europe and and uh fortress north america even even uh, in the southern hemisphere, that when it's all said and done, we have to hold these the, you know these aggressors accountable, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be it's it's going to be just as tough as the war is itself. That's all, right, all I got. You, thank you, Moose. Uh, Spring. It's just um, I have a po- um, a problem with. Um... The so-called what if I think right now the Ukrainians have to focus in surviving in daily life and um, um, I think we it, as the stoicism teach us that sometimes help is that we can only waste our time uh, with what we can what is in our hands to solve and forget all the rest keep it calm and live day by day it was all of that. Thank you, Spring. And we've just been joined by Pam Keith. Pam, good evening. Or not. Alternatively, uh, Mikos come up a bit ago and hasn't said anything yet. Hey, Mikos. Um, did you come up intentionally, or did you have something to, to say and got distracted? Rojos, please go ahead. Rojos, you, res- you uh, requested the mic. Please unmute yourself and go ahead.
Guess not. Off to you, Doman. Thanks, Em. I've missed most of the day, so I don't really have any news whatsoever. And I'm curious if anybody uh, who's up on stage would be willing to provide a quick update of what's been going on through the day. I think Pam agrees. Uh, I would, but not literally right now. Thanks, Walter. When you when you can, I think it'd be a it'd be fantastic to have a bit of a recap, either by you or you know any anyone else really. Say, Imperius, Imperius, if you're uh, if you're around, we'd love to have you up uh, to run through what's been going on through the day. But then again, Pam requested the mic, so she must have something to share with us. I think Pam is uh, away from mic. Oh, welcome, Pam. Yeah. How are you doing? Hi guys. Um, the only question I had was I once again have seen more reporting on this idea that Putin is having emergency surgery or no, let me rephrase is having cancer surgery. My presumption of it being necessary uh, because wouldn't he delay that if it were not. Um, and I'm just trying to hear, I'm, I just was curious if there's any developments on that. Has he, do we have a sense of when that's going to happen? If it's going to happen, it's because because I put you know you can't really define a more vulnerable part time for someone like Putin than you know being anesthetized. Yeah. Um, so I'm just I'm very curious about that. So, so good point. Yeah, go ahead and Walter. Yeah, I'll be short and leave it to Yehuda. Uh, no, no, you can words, answer. Yeah, the rumors about Putin's demise have been circulating in Ukraine starting from 2015 and it eventually it became sort of a, a joke or internal joke for ukraine when putin is dying or what happens to him is uh, osteosarcoma or his bone cancer of his backbone and nothing happened in 16 in 17 and then it transpired again in 18 so it's it became some kind of a russian propaganda or uh, Russian affiliated rhetoric to kind of distract from what is happening and uh, inject false hope. Yes, it's coming, obviously, <laughs> but unfortunately, it's been th that notion has been around for some time. And uh, in Ukraine, we have been subjected to that, unfortunately, with false hopes and expectations. Let's put it this way since the war started in 2014. And who does you? Yeah, it's an it's a non-starter. We we discussed it. Uh, I think uh, not some. Um, we I highly doubt uh, Putin's cancer uh, surgery or his oncologist is letting people know what's going on if it's true. Uh, this is simply um, the same as usual. We hear it all the time. Uh, almost dead. I have a better out. question. What if on, what if Putin dies tomorrow? Right. So we uh, we're not going anywhere with that. Um, it's, I don't. I don't mean some. You maybe I'm I just to be clear as to why I'm even raising this issue, right? There is there is a to me, and again, I could be totally wrong about this. There are things that I feel strongly about, and then there's things where I'm like, I'm not sure. But this there is a qualitative difference between general rumors of his ill demise 
or his ill health or whatever, and an announcement that he's going to have surgery and is going to hand over power to somebody for a period of days, right? Those to me are materially different things. And so in Russia, they are the same thing. If you okay. go to bed, they if you go to sleep, okay, if you go to I sleep know. and you're not in power, you're gone. You're toast. Well, I don't mean it that way. I mean it like if where Walter and Yehuda just said, oh, this is always percolating. I was like, well, if it's always percolating, it was percolating in a way that does not pop up in the U.S. mainstream, you know, sort of convo space. It may be a regular occurrence amongst Ukrainians or people in Europe, but it sure the heck ain't a regular occurrence in the U.S. talk space. So if it pops up in the U.S. talk space, that in and of itself is different. And it has popped up in the U.S. talk space and it has popped up in a way that is specific enough that it causes me to have questions. It's not, oh, Putin is sick or he looks like he's ailing, but Putin's having cancer surgery on next day. Those are those are materially different, too. Now, I'm not saying it makes it true. Right. But I'm saying it makes it different. And, and so and, and and again, if it is, where is this coming from? Is this coming from the Russians themselves that are putting it out or because why hell would they do that? If it's right, if it's not coming from Russians, if it's coming from someone else, maybe it's I've always thought that the FSB right now is strewn with leakers. Is it coming from that? Like, I just don't know. But obviously, it, 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 I, I find it strange. It, it's strange on a variety of levels. It's strange in that in a battle, like, could you imagine if you were in battle, on, in, in any other battle, and you started to get word that your commander in chief may be ailing? Like, what, why would the Russians put that out? Wouldn't it demoralize their troops? They're in battle. Why would you put like if it if it's rumor mongering from the Russians to destabilize or, or confuse people? Are they not the least bit concerned of the effect that's going to have on their troops? Yeah, I think that like maybe it's not coming from the Russians. Maybe it's coming from something else, and that's yeah. why I'm curious. So, so everybody, everybody this, knew FDR was going to die. Yeah, after the uh, before the invasion kicked off, every talking head in the United States was convinced that Russia wouldn't invade. It's just a this or that, uh, people on the ground are telling us that it's just a just a ruse. Da, 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 da. You know, the only way that story is true <clears throat> about Putin's cancer surgery, if it actually came from the Kremlin, which it didn't, the only way that story is true is Putin's already dead. And then in four days after this so-called surgery, they'll say he died on the table. I mean, that's the only way it could be true. I don't think it's true at all. It's just uh, more of the same. Okay, I, and and you know what, Yehuda, I am perfectly willing to accept your interpretation of this because it's as much, it's as logical as any other, right? Like that that uh, the reason you, I asked you missed you missed the black magic conversation earlier this morning, so it's not as logical as every other. <laughs> okay, well, I was trying to be nice. I can't. No, no, no. Yeah, no. I'm just making. Yeah, we had we had leprechauns and uh, fairy tales and Jewish all. lizard people. Uh, it was nice. I also had someone to, who began his rant with, by the way, I don't hate Jews, but that's very oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's been a nice morning. So, so okay. I, I asked the question, again, it, it could be a ruse. Putin could already be dead, and they're just kind of trying to cover it up. I don't know. but I if, think Troy actually has the answer to your question, ma'am. Troy, please go ahead. Well, well, yeah, like uh, you missed an eventful morning. We've been having long discussions about disinformation and, and getting to witness and critique it in real time. 
And uh, the point I was going to, I mean, there are so many people speaking and a lot of them, you know, very smart people. But the one thing I was going to add is the disinformation anywhere comes from information asymmetry. And Russia has that in spades and they always have. And that's why it seems to be the capital of disinformation. We were talking specifically about, you know, basically, you know, the protocols of the elders of Zion and all that stuff. But this is just another form of, you know, another it's Maskarovka. It's making sure the enemy has no idea what's going on at any time. So whether wherever this rumor emanated from, you know, I've already seen multiple you know accounts with huge followers saying ridiculous things like, oh, me and my hacker friends are going to go look for the for the health net and we're going to take it down. And other people saying, oh, yeah, you know, CIA is on top of this one. It's like it's just something to talk about besides the genocide in Ukraine, in my opinion. I mean, it, it, it's it's OK to throw it around and to analyze these things. But I, I have learned to listen to the Poles and the Ukrainians because they are right next door to the capital of global disinformation. And they they've seen it before. And I've been waiting for Putin to die of, you know, Parkinson's. And, you know, I thought he got, you know, microwaved by the CIA and they blasted away as myelin as revenge for the uh, the sonic attack. So it's just a world of it's just a world of misinformation, disinformation so that nobody trusts anything. I think I agree with Yehuda. When we find out, it'll be, you know, first it'll be, you know, we haven't seen Putin in a while. And then there'll be a video. And then everybody will be criticizing the video. It's like, well, that could have been taken any time. And the metadata says this. And he's wearing his tie from the original announcement. It, it's a mess. you know. And, and, and really, Putin's just the guy in charge. I don't think anything's going to change if he does die on the table. Just like Snowden tweeting out of the blue, Troy, right? Yeah, just, you know, he hasn't been heard from, from February. But all of a sudden, he's got some very strong opinions about very divisive, uh, difficult domestic conversations the united states just trying to split us right down the middle we have a we got a coalition right now and and they want to break it thank you troy much appreciated yehuda please go ahead oh no i didn't have anything to add oh come on you always have something to add no i'm uh i'm good i'll wait for the next point this is a first my god melanie please go ahead Hi, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Yes? Yes, please go ahead. Uh, hi, thank you. It's my first time on this um, chat. I just have a question since the beginning of the war. I don't know if uh, it's linked. Uh, I just arrived, so I'm sorry. And uh, I'm French, so my English is a bit uh, French. And I have a question since like two months, and uh, I wonder what what's going to happen like if russia take and what it seems to happen take some land like donbass or mariupol and that they have power on this uh, land or some city and i mean what is the goal because nobody will let them uh, uh, really possess this land so i don't understand what's going to happen uh, if if he do like uh, in crimea like he, uh, he do the annexation, I don't know in English, of Donbass and uh, I don't know in Mariupol, or if he really takes some territory and possess and have power on them and what's going to happen, I don't understand what can happen because Ukraine uh, won't let them have this and they, I don't think Russia will also uh, leave. Ukraine and stop the war. Just so I don't understand uh, what can happen. Uh, I don't understand. 
Well, simply, I will. Uh, bonjour et merci pour être ici. Um, bonjour. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, I think you asked the question that we all ask. I don't know that any of us have an answer to that. Um, I think the the question is, can Russia actually hold the territory it currently occupies, right? Land, I mean, war is by, by essence a, a real estate adventure. And real estate belongs to he who can hold it against a trespass. So if you can keep other people off of the territory you are on, it is yours. That is the theory of war, at least the most basic theory of war. And right now there is territory in Ukraine that Russians at the moment are able to keep Ukrainian forces off of. The only question is for how long? Will that be a permanent thing, a temporary thing, a next 10 hours thing, or a next 10 minutes thing? Because those lines are shifting in the heat of battle. So do we think that Russia has the capacity to sustain its control over the territory in which it currently has control? That question is about logistics and that's about, you know, sort of the whole machinery of war. And many people on this platform are speculating about how, how long they can hold out and how can it be backfilled and, and, and where is it falling and where is it advancing and so on. And that's kind of what we're doing in this space. But the overall question of can they, can they sustain this for any part of their occupation of Ukraine, uh, it remains to be seen. So anyway, merci pour être ici. C'est très charmant. Merci. So, so nobody know basically. No, je ne sais rien. Go to Baramuz. On n'a pas des. C'est trop difficile pour. Oui, c'est très difficile, Pam. Oui, oui, oui. C'est très difficile. Baramuz, please go ahead. We we got a French moment here. And, yeah, uh, I, 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 I saw feel, that. I feel deficient because uh, I don't know that. <laughs> well, you my, my, gr my grade nine French was coming back to haunt me. Oh, it's uh, better moose. Go ahead. Yeah, the uh, French is uh, mandatory in uh, Canada up to grade nine. So all I know is I am, you are, he is, she is in French. But uh, nonetheless, uh, to quote the great uh, American cinema classic, uh, if he dies, he dies. Um, you know, who, who cares? Who cares if Putin dies? You know, uh, <clears throat> who, uh, I think Yuda dropped off, but, uh, who is the, uh, FSB officer that's backfilling for him? Uh, because I was, I, the name escapes me, but I was reading some of his rhetoric and he's just as outlandish as Putin is. And trust me, that's if this guy goes, yeah, that dude. Um, if he goes down, there's a whole long line of succession in the FSB that are willing to, you know, get their dirty meat hooks into power. So even if we have three or four leaders die, uh, short of an all out revolution, which is really, really hard, uh, hard to, uh, to, to muster in a society that has succumbed to social apathy. Right. So uh, I, I, I even if he does die, like if he if he comes back from his operation, it'll be a miracle of modern technology. The uh, the, the 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 Russian uh, the, the Russian scientists win the day. 
Uh, and if he doesn't, you know, the FSB will step in and everything will carry on as per was going. That's all I got. Thank you, Moose. Uh, let's go to uh, Ishmael again. Yeah, hi again, guys. Yeah, I just wanted to point it out. The uh, So this guy's a real nasty piece of work, right? And he takes a lot of his advice from some sort of psychic guy, and it's not Dugan, but it's a psychic guy in the office who guides a lot of his decisions. So he's one of the architects of the invasion, and... Uh, the psychic. Well, let's be let's be clear. Are you telling us that Putin is taking advice from a psychic? No, no. The guy, the guy who's going to be sort of holding the reins while Putin's uh, undergoing his, his uh, surgery or whatever it is, right? Uh, what was it? somebody mentioned his name there earlier? Patrushev. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So he um, apparently this psychic. Uh, had a vision that um, Madeleine Albright had uh, initiated plans for an American invasion of Russia in order to take over all its natural resources. And this, <laughs> believe it or not, this is, that was the Did reason. Did the psychic say that Madeleine Albright signed a copy of her book for me? Yeah, well, she's dead now. Right? No, this is a yes or no question. Did this psychic say that Madeleine Albright signed a copy of her book for me? And no, I mean it specifically. No. Well, then I then I have to discount whatever that psychic said, but carry on. Yeah, so um, I, I'm reading multiple sources for this one, some very reputable sources on Twitter uh, about uh, this character. And uh, not the psychic, but uh, Putin's right-hand man there. And uh, so, he, A, he's ruthless, cunning, and conniving. And uh, he's absolutely... Uh, looking at, at Putin's chair and uh, if the uh, Soloviki sort of uh, decide that they're going to act uh, to remove Putin while he's uh, unavailable, uh, I'm, I'm sure that this character um, will be uh, right at the top of it and looking to gain access to that chair. Uh, Petrushev, that's his name, yeah. Troy, please help me. Yeah, actually, it was the word chair that <laughs> it sparked my comment. Um, I think it would be helpful, and, and please, anyone, correct me if I'm wrong, to think of Putin as the chairman of the board of Russia, and he serves at the will of the board members who are the power that be, which is the FSB, since uh, Yeltsin was uh, had to step down because of corruption and Putin was placed. So that was 22 years ago, and he is the chairman of the board, and as long as he completes, let's think about, uh, you know, good old American business, as long as he meets his key performance indicators then he gets the same power and um you know i got like a hundred books that i have not read but i'm going to read Catherine belton's uh book called putin's people for a second time here because it was so loaded with information and so much was happened just in the last two years since it was published it it reads almost like another story and oh it's hi back, highly recommended highly recommended yes yeah think back to there's a good bit a long bit about uh, the Dubrovka theater siege, the Nordost theater siege, which uh, if you've seen the movie Tenet, I think a lot parts of that were heavily borrowed from it. I saw the Tenet trailer. Yes. I jumped out of my seat because I'd been yes. on lockdown for a year and then I went to see Star Wars and I see a bunch of Kalashnikovs going off in a theater. That was the quote unquote Chechen siege of a Russian theater 
where, uh, long story short, it was a prolonged hostage crisis, and the FSB gassed the whole theater, including their own people, with fentanyl gas. And they did not do the most basic, you know, secure the airway of the victims, and actually more victims ended up suffocating from asphyxiation because they were they had respiratory depression and they uh, they their, threw up in their, their throat hit, basically. Their, so their, that heads, seen, their heads um, fell forward on their on their uh, chests and they just cut off the railways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they had busloads of of dead victims that were killed by the FSB because they went with this super aggressive approach that ended up you know there were no witnesses. All the all the hostage takers were killed and a great number of the hostages and that was very early in Putin's. Uh, presidency. And basically what I was getting at is there was a theory within, you know, Russian intelligence that that was a tactic to bind Putin to the presidency long term. Instead of being a short term caretaker, it forced him to, you know, manage the crisis and not depart on a low note. And, you know, there's not a lot of practical, there's not a lot of practicality to this invasion for the last two months. But I think if you look at it that way, as in, you know, a forced error that, that kind of it secures power for the people who created the problem. And that's a, that's a weird opportunity. Yes. And an authoritarian type of mind where I was talking to people, you know, around the 2020 elections in the United States. And there are people that literally said, you know, I'm voting for the incumbent because the person who makes the problem needs to clean up the problem. And that's a, that's a mentality in the world. It doesn't necessarily exist in the West, but that's, that's a thing. That's a tactic. That's, that's the FSB. That's the people running Russia. And Troy, two things. A, who said that this really was a mistake or a forced error? If it was a clerical error, they found out, oh gosh, this is a bit too much. Well, who cares? That's the point. And then they used, they introduced the term of the black widow into international media. The, the self-sacrificing, radically radicalized female warriors of the Chechens so that they could blame it all on Islamist terror cells. Yeah, isn't it funny how Putin's Islamist terrorist problem became the whole world's Islamist terrorist problem just a year into his presidency? Interesting, Bingo. huh? Bingo. But, but I am Troy, it's always a charm to have you on. No, this is this is my this is my refuge. This is my mental intellectual refuge. I love, you know, I love getting the combat stuff and I love when I can add something on this side. Pam, Pam please go ahead. Does anyone have an explanation as to why the Chechens are so willing to fight for Putin and support him now? I mean, is it just that he found that he he coronated and uplifted and 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 validated certain Chechen leaders and developed their loyalty to him because of that? Because it would seem to me that if you took out a whole bunch of somebody's countrymen and and fellow travelers and you know in a Muslim minority, um, that they would not be big fans of yours. But I don't know. Maybe no, I'm... man, uh, Pam. The answer relies, sadly. Okay, the answer came from the Egyptian Islamic Jihad organization, and the answer then came from what happened in uh, Albania. Sadly, again, and from there. To touch him, but I'm sure Doman is going to give the European insight on this. I've just given my Egyptian insight. I'll give you a very simple insight. It won't be much of an insight, but basically, Kadyrov is a mafia vassal to Putin, and he's using mafia tactics to get lots of Chechens into line in behind him because the primary employment opportunity for 
you know, not necessarily the smartest people, men in Chechnya, young men in Chechnya, is to do whatever Kadyrov says and thus join the Kadyrovci. I think it's really fundamentally that simple. Um, but I would love to see, I would love to hear Kafteli on this because he's from just south of the border from Chechnya and he might have a good, um, you know, a good, more in-depth explanation. And don't, Unless Walter wants to say something. Yeah, my two cents, don't forget that Chechnya is uh, the most heavily subsidized region of Russia. So essentially they flood it with money and the money goes to their uh, warlord Kadyrov and warlord's clan because it's all about the clans in Chechnya. The clan that was designated as the one that governs Chechnya was Kadyrov because Kadyrov has KGB connections, the older Kadyrov, the Kadyrov father that who, who was killed in 90s, and eventually the power shifted immediately to his son, Ramzan Kadyrov. And curiously enough, Ramzan himself continued to boast officially and proclaim that he killed his first Russian when he was 16. Well, he did that, but uh, money obviously matter more. And he jumped sides and sided with the obvious perpetrator of all the grief and all the suffering of Chechnya, as the whole of Kadyrov clan did, as his father did. So eventually he just followed when his father was assassinated. And Chechnya continues to be supported with Russian money. The money goes to to the Kadyrov clan, and Kadyrov clan essentially controls all of Chechnya and uh, uses its resources, its uh, manpower to support Russian regime. But I'll leave it either to Axel or Alex. Thank you. I wanted to first address that thing, um, what if Putin dies? Well, I, I don't think a lot of people will be sorry. I think uh, a lot of will celebrate. But in terms of who succeeds the power, it could be Patrushev, but for a short term. You know, if Putin dies, this will create an opportunity for internal fight. Because think of it, Russia will still need money. They will still need kind of reconciliation with the rest of the world especially the world where money is and money is in the West. Uh, so it will be an opportunity to find a scapegoat, declare, put everything on Putin, declare him American spy or Chinese spy or whatever spy and uh, kind of try to start from fresh. Now, I don't think it will work, but I think there will be some kind of uh, uh, very moderate uh, basically, I think the West will try to kind of incentivize them to move into the right direction. One of the things that will have to be addressed is nuclear threat, because they are threatening so much with their nuclear weapon that, honestly, I don't believe um, there is any future for Russia with so many nuclear warheads. Um, something will have to be done uh, with future uh, by future Russian rulers about that. But I'll leave it to that. I don't want to speculate too much because nobody knows when Putin will die. Um, again, uh, certainly that they will be welcome, but nobody really knows when it will happen. Now, as far as Chechen, you know, I the question is, uh, and I agree with, uh, like, uh, a lot of people said, uh, 
the, I feel the same way. I obviously I do not know uh, exactly, but I think of it as a reserve. And so Chechens hate Russians, and that can be explained because of genocide. Like for way too long, essentially, this is captive nation kept by Russians. Uh, pretty much genocide every once in a while. But what happens between uh, this time of genocide, they try to kind of bribe the few and uh, give them some kind of freedom in terms of military. So Chechens are all, will be always welcome to serve for Russian military and die for their tsars or general secretaries or whoever it is. Uh, essentially because Russia has been always uh, in war or trying to suppress uh, other people. So they were always trying to kind of form uh, and recruit those um, people from Northern Caucasus into their military units. Now, the new uh, turn with the Chechen and Kadyrov is and I will compare them to Oprichens because it's not just Chechen hating Russians, it's also Russians hating Chechens. And the reason Russians hate Chechens is also very simple. Uh, there is uh, the term called Oprichnik, uh, and it comes from ancient Thank you. time. We are like uh, one of Tsars, he did not, he wanted to rely on somebody. So he created this group of, uh, you can call it security forces in modern terms where those people were allowed to do anything any crime like any crime they could take whatever women they feel like they could take whatever money they they were free to find out accuse anybody of any kind of treason and take all their money and take all their possessions uh, so this was kind of criminal in in its extreme you know, they were not um, punished for anything. And this term uh, has, well, every Russian understands what it is and has a lot of hate. Uh, those Oprichniks were very much hated with Russians. And that's, uh, you can uh, look at Kadyrov's units in the same way because it's not just in Chechnya they sit. They are in Moscow and they do whatever they want in Moscow. And every Russian knows that. So it's kind of mutual, um, mutual uh, feelings. Like Chechens hate Russians, and Russians hate Chechens. Actually, they are growing. I, I wouldn't say growing. I I haven't done the research, but among Russians, there is opinion that we should like cut them loose because um, why are we? It is true that. Chechnya is receiving most of money comparing to any other units in Russia. It is very heavily centralized country. So think of it that, so there are states, right? And uh, imagine that all the taxes from all the states go to the federal uh, federal center and then the center allocates as they see fit the money back. So Chechnya is getting most, especially per capita comparing to everybody else. It doesn't mean that Chechens become rich. No, it means that Oprichniks get paid way above uh, way above uh, what they deserve. So it cre and uh, probably 
even Chechens within Chechnya are the most oppressed by those oppressions because again, they still, you know, believe it or not, they still find so-called terrorists in Chechnya killing them. And one of, there was a Chechen guy here. What he was telling that, you know, if you are not kind of one of those oppressions and do not have connections and ties. They may, and if you have a sister, they may rape your sister. Then they will, you know, call you terrorist and they will kill you. They, they do anything they want, like anything they want. And the most people, the most uh, oppressed by these could be the Chechens themselves. But I can tell you, every neighbor hates uh, Kadyrov. Russians hate Kadyrov. Everybody hates Kadyrov. And if the Egyptians hate Kadyrov. Uh, yeah, I, okay, yeah, for, for Egypt, you see? So, I hate him. Uh, yeah, uh, so it's kind of, yeah, that, that's how I view it. It's, it's, it's like uh, asking why all Sicilians are mafiosi. I don't think so. I don't think all Sicilians are mafiosi, but mafiosi had, historically, had strong ties in Sicilia. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you can... But Kadiro is worse, much worse. Okay. Yeah, I would help to much, think of it as a much a, less. A piece of, but sorry, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say it helps to think of Kadirov and uh, Chechnya as a as a modern day fiefdom. He, you know, Russia went in there, and uh, there were at least two or three Chechen wars. I'm not an expert on that, but uh, they, I mean, the same tactics and, and cruelty that they're using against uh, Ukraine right now, they used in the early. 21st century against the Chechens and and they it wasn't a genocide per se but it was a they killed enough of the true believers and installed Kadyrov as you know it's his own personal fiefdom he runs it as he wishes again as long as he fulfills his objectives for the Kremlin they get to play the Russians and, and Chechens off of each other and it almost seems like they would have liked to do the same thing with Ukraine crush it ideologically move the head of power and make it subservient second class country to Russia but Obviously, that didn't happen. Troy, you've just hit the nail on its head. And with that, I'm going to go to Grateful RN. And I hope RN doesn't stand for Royal Navy, but Grateful, please go ahead. <laughs> no, it stands for Nurse. <laughs> um, the RN is for Nurse? What is yes. the R for? Registered Nurse. Copy that, ma'am. Grateful, please go ahead. Yeah. Um, I hope this hasn't been discussed too much, but... Um, I've been reading about how Putin has accepted to go to the G20. How could he physically go there and not be arrested? Or are there no charges against him yet? And the other part of it is that I thought somebody said he had osteosarcoma. That is like basically one of the specialties. I'm an orthopedic nurse and we do a lot of osteosarcoma patients. Uh, Putin's health on the go. Um... Yeah, well... We, no one can really speculate on his health, right? Well, yeah, you're, you're a registered nurse. Oh. Yeah, it's it's not immediately fatal if that's what he has. I know. I mean, yeah. I I understand that. I have a medical background, but I no one can no one can really or should really speculate on his on his health. And Walter, please take it from here. True. So exactly, it's something that uh, Ukrainians. In Ukraine, we've been over this. In U.S., we are just starting this. 
because it's the same old song that we encountered in 2013 and 2015 when we were essentially fighting back against the initial Russian invasion. Again, this notion of Putin dying was uh, gradually, you know, insinuated. It was alleged. It was speculated. And, you know, it doesn't happen. I mean, eventually he will die, of course, as all of us. (laughs) There is no other outcome. Let's just not too... Let's not put too much hope into that and let's not focus our attention on such a thing because we we don't know what's really happening and there is no way to know. It's really, truly rumors, speculation, and what we can actually at least speculate upon is how this whole system that he governs might eventually crumble, but not upon his health and whether he will die tomorrow or in five years or even 10 years, because all of these outcomes are plausible. Yeah, got it. So as far as the G20, is he going to really show up there? That's the billion-dollar question, and time will tell. Will he survive it? (laughs) Again, that's the billion-dollar question. Some special tea, tea perhaps. No, I, we do not endorse assassinating Putin. If anything, as me, M. Dot, from Cairo, Egypt, I would love to see him in The Hague. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Brian. Hey, thanks. Uh, could you guys um, speak to the, uh, the Chechens that decided to fight on the Ukrainian side? I know in the early days I saw photographs of that and um, just sent you a link uh, to an article on it. I'm sure you guys are pretty well versed in it. Um, I'm assuming that amongst the Tatar Muslims that they are in the minority that are behind Ukraine. And maybe Walter can speak to this too. The dynamics of those uh, fighters going back to Chechnya after this is over, I'm assuming they face some perils going back there. I'm just interested in the dynamics there. Uh, if you could shed some light on that. Thank you, Brian. So briefly, uh, those are the the group of Chechens who were in power before Kadrov. So there's a little bit of tribalism over there. Walter should speak to this first, and I think Troy would have something interesting to add afterwards. But Walter, are you with us? Yes, I am. Walter. Uh, sorry, I was in the middle of something in in Twitter interface. So yes, essentially, uh, um, the old guard of sorts or Chechens who are fighting on Ukrainian side are within uh, Sheikh Mansur Battalion. Sheikh Mansur is uh, their leader from the 18th century, essentially. Uh, mostly it's consisting of uh, Chechens who fled Chechnya and emigrated from Chechnya after the Second Chechen War. And uh, the battalion has been active since 2015 as a volunteer battalion fighting on Ukrainian side against Russian invaders. And 
So that's the that's the story. Recently, we've seen photos of them fighting northwest of Kiev, specifically pushing Russians back uh, into Belarus from where they invaded in, in that section of the front line or the front. And they were fighting alongside with uh, Ukrainians from Honor or Gonor unit and uh, Oleg Filimonov specifically. Actually, the guy that was uh, recently, it's quite a peculiar effect. Uh, he was a star in the uh, Cannes uh, movie festival. Um, and he he was the main actor in the movie by Oleg Sentsov uh, called Rhino or Rhinoceros. Uh, which essentially I think they won something at Cannes or Cannes movie festival in France just recently. So quite peculiar again. The, these guys from Honor and Oleg Filimono were fighting alongside with the Chechens from um, Sheikh Mansur battalion and pushing Russians away from Ukraine, from Russian-occupied uh, territories northwest of Kiev. That's where they succeeded and uh, they continue to fight on the Ukrainian side. They just uh, moved to other, another front line. I cannot stipulate or I cannot uh, speculate uh, regarding the size of their units, unfortunately. I didn't know that. Thank you, Walter. Troy, would you like to add anything to this? Uh, no, just that there was also in 20, 2014 during the initial evasion, there was a the Zolkar Dudaev battalion, and they had, uh, I think the most famous person in that group was Amina Okieva, which she was a, a Chechen descendant doctor from Ukraine. And, and uh, yeah, like Walter was saying, these are all, they're all, you know, they all practice Islam. These are non-radicalized, non-true uh, believers. In Chechen and Russia, they essentially, you know, they know the deal and they're taking an opportunity, just like the United States, to to assist Ukraine in in battling the enemy and defeating them and hopefully making it better for everybody. Thank you so much, Troy. Uh, Kajan, please go ahead. Kaju Exile, please go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. That's uh, Cajun, but close enough. Uh, yeah. So I, I no, want to... Apologies for my pronunciation. No problem. Uh, I wanted to uh, take a second to uh, to thank Alex for his input. I find it quite interesting. And, and he was talking earlier today about Georgia being one of the largest uh, non-NATO uh, contributors of uh, troops in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And I earlier did not get the when he when he spoke of it earlier, I did not get the opportunity to thank him. Um, I speak with line infantry from Afghanistan and in Iraq with great regularity, and, and uh, Georgian uh, contributions in that effort were very well regarded. Uh, Georgian troops were highly regarded, and I just wanted to tell him thank you. And I'll uh, retire to uh, Lister. No problem. Thank you. And some good news from Mariupol from three hours ago, actually two and a half hours ago. So Ukrainian defenders from Mariupol established contact 
and they're holding their defenses and they're alive. So the contact was re-established. Uh, unfortunately, the previous information about Russian onslaught, it's, it continues. The Russians are throwing literally everything that they have in the area upon Azovstal, massive bombardment. Uh, there is video online with the Azovstal compound, parts of Azovstal compound being bombed. So for you to imagine the scale of what's happening, but again, they reestablished contact with the rest of Ukrainian forces. And despite the overwhelming odds they're holding for now. Thank you, Walter. Let's go to uh, Louis and then John. Hi, good evening, everybody. Uh, I hope you are doing well. Um, I have two two questions. Um, I already was here in the afternoon, uh, but I, I had to go. Um, and uh, I think one or two hours ago, I read a message that um, Lavrov is receiving a delegation from the Hamas, um, has received today or re will receive tomorrow. And uh, in the afternoon, I already said that uh, the the problem that he caused in Israel, saying that uh, Jews are uh, Nazis, um, was a method, uh, a chess move to appease Arabic uh, countries. So um, what do you think about that? Do you think uh, that's going in that direction? And uh, the second question was, I also read today that the leader of Azerbaijan um, recommended Zelensky not to give one, one centimeter of Ukraine to the Russians and that they, uh, Azerbaijan also has a lot of military power that uh, could help uh, fighting um, Russians. Um, do you think that there is a possibility that they uh, will get into fight against the Russians. Thank you. Thank you, Louis. So I can speak to the first part of uh, your questions or your first question. So I would start my response by asking a simple question. In every single official photo we see of Putin, he's wearing his watch on his right wrist. Now, do we know for a fact whether Putin wears his watch on his right wrist whenever he's being photographed, whenever he knows that he's being photographed, or whether he's a left-handed person, or whether he actually enjoys wearing his watch on his, his right wrist instead of his left wrist. I don't have the answer. I don't know. But I know for a fact that in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, a lot of people think that if you wear your watch on your right wrist, you are uh, abiding with the laws of Islam by making sure that your right hand takes precedence over your left hand. That this will give more blessing to your time now that you're wearing your watch on your right hand or your right wrist. Which is absolute nonsense because we've created the unit of time. We define second according to a certain scientific standard. We have defined the standard of a second to the extent that we now have atomic clocks. 
and we have those atomic clocks deployed here on this planet and also on our satellites and we're using them for everything between precise timing to GPS uh, triangulation. So when Putin wears his watch on his right wrist and he's being photographed in official Kremlin photos that he's wearing his watch on his right wrist, he is giving credence to certain conspiracy theories that will go around the Arab world and the Muslim world that, oh yeah, Putin is wearing his watch on his right wrist, you know, at least, well, we don't know if he, maybe he's a Christian, maybe he's a Muslim, uh, but at least he's anti-West, at least he's against the British, at least he is against the whole, you know, uh, etiquette and protocol. Uh, fuck do we know? We would love to eat our rice using spoons. We don't like the Brits eating the rice using forks. Yeah, we just want to be contrarian. We want to be against everything that they stand for. Uh, Putin is not really trying to uh, do a lap dance. Sorry, excuse my French again. For Arab countries and Muslim countries, it's more of manipulation. So whatever signaling he's putting out there, if it is intended to be put out there under recommendation of his own security services or his own understanding or his own will, his own wish, his own recommendation, it is being put out there as part of the misinformation, disinformation efforts exerted by the Russian Federation government against the countries of the Arab world, the Muslim world, and BRICS. And I can confidently assess that it is working. And I can confidently assess that not only is it working, it is it will be quite effective for some time. As for your second question, I don't know who's here available to take it. And uh, if you would like to repeat the second question specifically, please go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, for your explanation. Uh, that question that I had, the first question, is related to Russia is losing a lot of money through the sanctions, and it will get worse. So they need uh, brighter, um, big countries, so they they get the money they are losing now. So that's why I think that. Oh, yes, well, they're, they're not paying lip service to the Arab countries because the Arab countries actually went to them and said, hey, we would like to pivot to you because a couple of democratic administrations haven't been nice to us. Ah, okay. And I, it's bad optics for an Egyptian to comment about democratic or Republican foreign policies. I don't want to do that. I will not get into that. But to be ideologically promiscuous and to describe the problem honestly several arab governments several muslim governments are disgruntled with what certain administrations leading the united states governments uh, did to the region and that's why they are taking the piss so putin is not really paying lip service to arab and muslim nations to win their populace so that he win their governments because it doesn't work that way in that part of the world. Those governments are already in control of their own populations. And those governments are pivoting or dealing with the Russians because they are seeking an insurance policy against failed foreign policies pursued by the West that they have deemed as destabilization 
to the security of their own national security and to the security of their own regional, foreign and domestic politics. So he's not really trying to tell the Emiratis, hey, I like Islam or hey, I like Arabs. No, it doesn't work that way. He knows that they need him more than he needs them. And they benefit from attracting all the capital outflows, trying to escape Moscow, trying to escape the